If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, please take them and turn with me. Not to the book of Acts. It's going to mess you up. I know. I'm sorry. But turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to take a break from our study in the book of Acts this week uh, for us to examine what it means to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. Prepare ourselves, really, we could even say not just the coming of the Lord, but be prepared for our meeting with the Lord. Because every single one of us in this room will one day have a meeting with our Lord. And so this morning, I want us to consider that as we look at Matthew chapter 24, which is really comes right in the middle of the Olivet Discourse, in which that's what it's referred to, that Matthew refers to us there. And, 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 and what we need to know is that one day, the Lord is going to return. The Lord has promised that He will return. In fact, um, it, it's going to happen, but, but here's the issue. None of us know when it's going to happen. And that's always created a little bit of a, of a hitch in us. We don't know when it's going to occur. In fact, Jesus even says right here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So it's not a day that we know exactly when it's going to occur, but our lack of knowledge with regard to the specificity of when our Lord returns does not mean that we should fail to properly prepare for the inevitability of that return. In fact, Jesus goes on to make it very clear through some parables that he teaches here that you and I have a definitive responsibility to prepare ourselves for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that preparedness is a critical function for each one of us. I want us to look at these parables today. Both, I want us to look at them individually so that we can draw out the main point that each parable has for us, and then I want us to look at what the collective message of all four of these parables together, what they communicate to us as a summary message, and maybe we can get our minds around all of that together. But since we're already doing things differently by not being in Acts, let's go ahead and do things differently this morning. I want to pray for us before we get started this morning. So would you bow with us in prayer? Lord, I want to thank you for this day, and I want to thank you for this opportunity to gather back together with my church family here, Lord, these people that I love so dearly that you've blessed me with and blessed my family with being able to serve. And, and so, God, I'm just grateful for that. I do pray for those of our church family that are still up in Maine and, and those from Mountain Park that are there with Small Point Baptist Church. I just pray for them right now as they, too, are in the middle of a worship service. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd bless them and let your Holy Spirit rest upon them, draw them ever closer to you and, and, and to one another through, through their time of service there. But I pray that you'd help that to happen here, too, Lord, just... Help our hearts to be knit together as we gather around your word. Lord, help us to push out the distractions of the other things that might claw for attention in our lives and help us to be able to focus on what it truly means to be prepared to meet you. Because, Lord, the reality is every one of us in this room will one day meet you and stand before you. And so I pray that today what we study will help us, push us, convict us, to be prepared for that day. That is my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at four parables today. The first one is the shortest one that Jesus tells us about. It begins there in verse 42. It's three verses long. I want to read it to you, and then we'll talk about what Jesus is saying in this parable. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Jesus says this, Watch therefore... For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. 
Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, as I mentioned, this parable is the shortest in this, of the ones that we're going to look at today. And it makes a simple yet very profound point. And I'm going to give that to you. The first point on your outline this morning is this. Preparedness demands watchfulness. Preparedness demands watchfulness. Jesus compares the timing of his return to that of a thief that comes and robs your house. Now, in a room this size, I would imagine that there's some of you in this room that has experienced that, unfortunately. Someone has come and, and, and burglarized your home or robbed you of something along the way. I, I would imagine that that's the case. I would also imagine, though, and guess that that thief never sent you a telegram or a message in advance telling you when he was going to come and do that. That you came home and unexpectedly found that somebody had broken into your home and stolen things from you. A, a thief, by his very nature, plays upon the fact that his arrival will be completely unexpected. And that's the point that Jesus is making in this parable. His return will be like that of a thief. It will come unexpectedly. Now, it is that comparison between Jesus and a thief. That's where it is. Because Jesus is not coming back to steal anything from us. Rather, the single point of this parable is that his return will be one that is unpredictable and unexpected. And that's... That is why Jesus says there in verse 42, in light of that knowledge, he says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. In other words, the unexpected, sudden, and unpredictable nature of Christ's return does not mean that you should be unprepared for it when it occurs. In fact, it means just the opposite. Using the analogy of the thief, Jesus says that had the homeowner known when the thief was coming, well then he would have not allowed himself to be broken into. Why? Because he would have been prepared for it. So Jesus is emphasizing that and saying, you should be prepared for the unexpected return of Christ. It could occur at any moment. And in fact, he may come at any moment. We cannot predict when it will be, and no doubt it will come as a surprise Nevertheless, we must live with anticipation of that return, a watchful eye that leads to preparedness. So, small, short parable, one single solitary point, preparedness demands watchfulness. That simple parable then leads Jesus into a next one that he tells us there, beginning in verse 45 down through verse 51. Read along with me there. Jesus says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, in this parable, 
Jesus is presenting a scenario in which the master of the house has gone away. Perhaps he's gone away on business. He's gone away to, to, to locate supplies to bring them back for his home. And in his, in his time away, he's left a servant in charge. He's left his right-hand man there to take care of all the affairs while he's away. But just as was the case in the, with the thief in the previous parable, so here this servant does not know when his master is going to return home. In fact, the master's return was, was unexpected and it surprised the servant. And the tension of this story is created by the implied question, when the master comes, what kind of servant is he going to find? There's two options that, that Jesus presents here. The first option is when the master returns, he finds a servant who is faithful to him, who is doing exactly what he should be doing. He's taking care of the master's home and property. He's dealing the, the, with all of the things that come up on a normal basis that the master would be doing. This servant is doing it in his stead, and he's faithfully discharging his duties. And Jesus says if the master comes home and finds that guy, man, he's going to promote him and he's going to give him more things. He's proven himself to be faithful. But the other scenario is a possibility as well. Will the master, when he returns, find an unfaithful servant, a servant that's out taking advantage of the fact that his master's, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Exactly. My brother and I found that out. My dad would sometimes in the summertime when my brother and I were home, mother was working, we, he would go. He said, look, I've got to go to the hospital and uh, I've got to make a visit. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I want you guys to take care. I need to get the, you know, you need to get the lawn mowed. And he'd leave us a list of chores. We started looking at the clock as soon as he left going, how long do you think it's going to take him? Inevitably, my father would return and we would not have things done. And so... Um, we sort of understood what it was like. Going, Why didn't you get this done? Well, because we took liberties. That's exactly what this servant did. He took liberties. In fact, he, he talks about being there and, and, and uh, abusing all of the, the, the other workers there and drinking and, and, and just uh, doing, live, living, living it up while his master is away. When he comes back and he finds that servant, well, Jesus says this, that he is met with a severe punishment. He's being cut into pieces and he is put with the unfaithful or the hypocrites. Now, the simple explanation of this parable is just simply this. It reminds us that you and I are faced with a decision. Every one of us in this room are faced with a decision. As servants of Christ, you and I can choose to be prudent and faithful servants doing the Lord's will and preparing ourselves for his imminent return, which could occur at any time, or we can live disobedient and immoral lives, counting on the master's absence. In fact, that, that understanding is what leads me to the second point that I want you to see. I believe the simple point of this parable is this. Preparedness demands faithfulness. Preparedness demands faithfulness. Someone as well said, live each day so that you will neither be afraid of tomorrow nor ashamed of yesterday. I think that is an important thing. I think it's good, and I think it's important that you and I ask ourselves, am I living like that? 
Or are you living irresponsibly? Assuming that because the Lord has not yet returned that you've got plenty of time to get everything straightened out before he actually does. You know, many people live their lives as if they will have plenty of time to get things right before the day of reckoning comes. But the fact is that none of us really know that to be the case. Though Christ will return one day, we don't know when it is and when it's going to happen. And even if he delays his return even longer than we might even think, surely the news that we see every day and our own experiences in our lives that tell us about untimely deaths and, and illnesses that suddenly daily accidents, natural disasters, things that happen that none of us anticipated, well, those should keep us from presuming that we have all the time in the world that we will ever need. The reality is that today is the day to be prepared for the end, be it at Christ's return or be it at our own deaths. We do not know when that day will come. Therefore, we must be prepared for it because it will come. Preparedness is demonstrated by living faithfully to the commands of Christ as we wait for his return. And that then leads Christ to the next parable that begins chapter 25. These are a series of parables that he tells one after the next, and each one kind of opens a wider door or gives us a different, different sliver to, to consider the whole issue of preparedness together. And so the next one really talks about uh, the, the, the virgins, the, t the ten virgins that were there to be a part of this, this uh, wedding that was going to occur. So let's read it together. Jesus introduces it here in verse 1 of chapter 25. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, what becomes obvious is that the delay of the groom in this parable, that's what creates the tension. It's the delay. Some have suggested that these ten virgins all had a particular role to play in the wedding procession because they were to help light the way for the groom as he made his, his way to the bride's house. But what we recognize is that five of them foolishly didn't bring enough oil with them. And consequently, when the bridegroom's procession was delayed until late in the night, all ten of these, these virgins, they got sleepy, and eventually all of them fell asleep. And in the process, all of their lamps burned out. 
But at midnight, suddenly the shout came. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Now the five wise virgins had brought oil with them, and so they were able to trim their lamps. They were able to go out and, and, and join the wedding party. However, because the five foolish virgins didn't have enough oil, they had to go try to find oil elsewhere. They have to go try to borrow some. They tried to borrow from their friends. They said, we don't have enough to go around for both of us. And therefore, they go out to try to find oil elsewhere. What's obvious from the story is that these five foolish virgins were not prepared to meet the bridegroom and the wedding progression as it came. And therefore, the emphasis of this parable, as we've already seen, is about preparedness. And we've seen preparedness demands watchfulness, preparedness demands faithfulness, and then here we see preparedness demands readiness. Demands being ready. Here's the truth. Even though life and the world may seem to go on forever, a day is coming when there will be no more second chances to get our lives ready spiritually. Therefore, it is imperative that when Christ does return, we are prepared to meet him by being ready. The question this parable forces you and I to ask is this, am I ready? That's a tremendously important question. See, there's a shocking turn of events that occurs at the end of this parable. Uh, amazingly, somehow or another, these, these five foolish virgins went out at midnight and found some place where they could find oil. And they get their lamps filled with oil again, and then they go to where the party is occurring, back to the bridegroom's house, and they, they knock on the door and say, let us in, we, we're ready, now we, we want to come in. But the party had already begun. And the groom says, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, I want you to know such a statement is nothing less than a stark, straightforward statement of rejection of a person who does not have a true relationship with Jesus. That's why preparation and readiness are so absolutely important. You know, oftentimes young people have a feeling of invincibility. I remember having that feeling in high school. As I was a young man, 16, 17 years old, I joined the delayed entry program of the United States Navy just as soon as I was old enough to do it. And I remember thinking I was big and bad and bulletproof. A lot of us feel that way at that time. Um, thinking that there really wasn't anything in this world that I couldn't run through, a wall that I couldn't run through and things that I couldn't tackle if I needed to. So I felt that sense of invincibility to a degree as a young man. I also remember in high school, one of my classmates developing a malignant brain tumor. He would have been the valedictorian of our class. He was one of the smartest, smartest guys I ever knew. And that malignant brain tumor ended up causing his untimely death. And I was a pallbearer at his funeral. And I remember thinking to myself, maybe I'm not as invincible as I thought. You know, I think a lot of us go through life thinking that we are just 10 feet tall and bulletproof at various points. 
then life smacks you right in the mouth and you realize that you're not. And then you have people that you see where things happen to them and, and you're stunned by it. And all of us end up realizing that while we may think we have all of the answers and that we are strong and can take on anything that comes our way, the reality is it's not the truth. In fact, I would say simply this, one of the great lessons of maturity is that our lives are not our own. They can be taken away from us at any moment. None of us are promised a tomorrow. And tomorrow may actually be the day that Christ returns. Our responsibility then is to be ready. Whatever the scenario we may face will be. One writer I read said it quite well. He says, we are ready when our relationship with God and others are what they should be. We are ready when at any moment of our day, whether in the privacy of our own home or in the apartment of our girlfriend or boyfriend or in the recesses of our mind, we are not ashamed to have the Lord meet us. We are also ready when we are not ashamed at our credit card accounts being made public. We are ready when past grievances have been acquitted. I want you to know, particularly in Jesus' day, the fact that those five foolish virgins were not ready, that they were not properly prepared to meet the wedding procession, that would have been nothing short of unthinkable. And listen, it is just as unthinkable that you and I would be found not ready or be found unprepared for the return of Christ or for the end of our lives. Jesus says in verse 13, very clearly, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, if we just consider these first three parables and kind of look at them in reverse order, what we see is that Christ has compared his return to the bridegroom's progression, or procession that was, it was later than it was expected. The return of the master was earlier than the servant expected, and the arrival of the thief went completely unexpected. So, He's, look, he's given us these different viewpoints of the return of Christ. And then he tells this final parable that I want us to look at this morning in verses 14 through 30. And, and, and he takes it from a completely different perspective altogether. So begin reading with me there in verse 14. And I'm going to read down through verse 30. Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And then he, who, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. He said, the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Unlike the previous three parables we've looked at this morning, this parable of the talents does not have embedded within it the element of surprise or delay with regard to the return of the master of the house. That's not, that's not the issue here. His return is not unexpected, nor is it surprisingly early or late. Nevertheless, there remains the, the, the implication of preparedness for his return, that Jesus describes what faithful and unfaithful stewardship looks like. And as we read, different servants are given different numbers of talents, each according to his own ability. One servant was given five talents. Listen, a talent was a measure of money. Some have even said that it equates to 20 years worth of income. So it was a significant amount of money given to this servant. And one was given five talents. Another one was given two. A third was given one each according to their abilities. The issue is not the, um, the, the number of talents. The issue is what did they do with what they had been given. The first who had the five took what he had been given and he invested it and he, he took it and he grew it and it doubled in size and he ended up with 10. The second one that had two talents did the same thing. He, 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 was, he was good with how he took it and managed it and he turned those two talents into four. The third servant, on the other hand, did nothing with the talent that was given to him except bury it in the ground. He doesn't invest it. He doesn't use it to buy something that he can sell for profit. He doesn't use it to loan out so he can get interest in return. He doesn't deposit it in a bank. He just simply buries it in the ground. And the condemnation that the third servant receives for just doing that, nothing more with it, alerts us to the fact that not only were his actions foolish, but they were extraordinarily detrimental to him. In fact, the final verse of the parable, Jesus says this, he calls him wicked and he's an unprofitable servant and he had the one talent that had been given to him taken away from him and then he was cast in the outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. So a simple and a straightforward look at this parable tells us something very important. It tells us that in being prepared for our Lord's return, that preparation demands fruitfulness. That's the fourth point on your outline this morning. Preparation demands fruitfulness. Scripture teaches us that all that we are and all that we have ultimately comes from the hand of God. 
I don't know how many times I've heard in my life someone say, you know, that's a self-made man right over there. She's a self-made woman. She pulled herself up by her own bootstraps. I've heard that so many times. I want you to know it's not biblical. Everything that you and I have, everything that we are, ultimately came into our lives after it trickled through the hands and the fingers of God himself. There's nothing that we can claim and stand and say that none of us created ourselves. God is alone is the one who creates. He's the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. Therefore, we must, I want you to know, we must employ all of our resources, both financial and personal giftedness, into the service of the kingdom of God. It ultimately came from him to begin with. Not all of us are born with the same talents. Not everyone is endowed with the same gifts of the Spirit. I can't cut out an electrical outlet out of a sheet of sheetrock to save my life. But I want you to know that each one of us in this room ought to be productive and fruitful in our own unique way because each of us will one day stand before God and give an account of the productivity of our lives. What we recognize with this parable, as well as with others that we have examined, there is a call that Christ makes to us to be prepared. The Lord has not yet returned. And you and I are still living, and we have breath within us. But I want you to know, one day He is going to return. One day, as the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and each one of us is going to receive what is due to us for the things that have done while in the body, whether good or bad. And such an understanding, because of all of that together, leads me then to my sermon in the sentence this morning, which is this. As we kind of put everything that we've looked at from these four parables together this morning, this is what I offer to you as my sermon in the sentence. Be, be it at the end of this age or the end of our lives, we must prepare ourselves to meet the Lord by living watchful, faithful, ready, and productive lives because we will be judged by Him. Brothers and sisters, that is a sobering thought. To chew on those words that we will one day stand before the creator of the universe and be judged by him. That is something that ought to stop every single one of us in our tracks and force us to truly consider. It is a message that demands our preparedness. And let me say this to you this morning. Preparedness begins with trusting in Jesus as Savior. If you are here this morning and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have never repented of your sin, turned from it, and turned to Jesus Christ as your only hope, then you are not prepared to meet the Lord. Your preparation has to start with you recognizing your absolute need of Him. 
Your preparation must begin by realizing that on your own, you are hopelessly and helplessly and eternally lost. But the good news is this, God knew that, which is why he sent his loving son, Jesus Christ, into this world. To die on Calvary's cross, to to take upon himself the guilt of your sin and my sin. And he suffered there. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave so that you might one day be able to stand before him, not pleading your own innocence, but declaring your guilt, but that your righteousness is tied to the righteousness of Christ. That is how your preparation must begin. And so let me say this to you today. If you have never trusted in Christ, I I plead with you. Repent of your sin and believe upon Jesus Christ as your only hope. That is how your preparation must begin. But I want you to know that your preparation, if that is your testimony, it has to continue. It continues by responding to God's call upon your life. Preparedness demands that that you and I scan the landscape of our lives and examine our behaviors. And if in doing that, you realize that you've become too preoccupied with other things, with material things or or, or relationship that, that you know full well is not what it should be, or that you're not utilizing the natural giftings and talents that God has endowed you with for His glory, then, then to properly prepare yourself for Christ's Return means that you must begin taking steps toward rectifying those issues and living your life in obedience to Him. If it is true that God has a plan for your life, and I believe that it is, then then our responsibility is to live in obedience to that plan. And if you're not living in obedience to that plan, then you're not prepared to meet Him. What Jesus zeroes in on in this Olivet Discourse is that you and I must prepare ourselves for what is an absolute guaranteed fact. Christ is coming and we will give an account of our lives to him when he does. I want to close with this story. It was said that Satan once called him all the emissaries of of hell and, and, and he told them that he wanted to send out one of them into the earth in order to aid women and men in the destruction and the ruination of their souls. And so he asked for volunteers who would want to go. And one ugly, nasty creature raised his hand and said, I'll be glad to go. And Satan said, okay, what are you going to say when you get there? He says, I will tell them that there is no heaven. Satan said, that won't do. He said, there's in the heart of, of every man and woman There is a bit of heaven. And in the end, everyone knows that there is a right and a good, that the right and the good are going to be victorious. So he sent that that creature away. Another uglier, worse creature than him raised his hand and says, I'll go. He says, what are you going to tell them when you get there? He says, I'll tell them there's no hell. He says, that's not going to do either. He said, every man and woman has a conscience. They have an inner voice which testifies to them that there is a truth and that one day that truth is going to triumph and that, and that falsehood and, and death is going to be defeated. So Satan sent that creature away as well. Then one last creature came forward and this one was the darkest, ugliest, most vile creature of all. He raised his hand. Satan said, if I send you, what will you say to men and to women 
to aid them in the destruction and the ruination of their souls. The creature replied, I will tell them to take their time, that there is no hurry. Satan said, yes, go. May I say to you this morning that we must not be deceived into believing such a lie from the pit of hell, that there is no hurry, that there is plenty of time to take care of these issues before I die, to take care of these issues before the Lord returns. Jesus says that today is the day of salvation. And he says that each one of us must be prepared for his imminent return or for our appointed time to meet him in death. And here's what I want you to know based upon our outline this morning. I believe watchful, faithful, ready, and fruitful. Those are the words that should describe us if we really, truly desire to be prepared to meet our Lord. One day, one day, you will meet him. The question is, are you prepared for that day? Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it confronts us straightforward with the reality of the necessity of our salvation and our living of obedient lives to you. My prayer is if there is one in this room today or one who is listening online who truly has never repented of their sins and trusted in you, that your Holy Spirit would draw them to you, bring about the conviction in their lives of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. I pray that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior and that they would prepare themselves for that inevitable meeting by trusting in you. For those of us in this room, Lord, that that is our testimony, then I pray that we would give a serious look at our lives and ask ourselves, am I ready to meet the Lord? And Father, the areas of our lives in which you bring to our attention in which we truly are not ready, where we've been unfaithful, where we've been lazy, where we've been lacking motivation to serve you, I pray that you would bring conviction there as well and that you would do a great work in our hearts so that we might truly be able to say that we are ready to meet you, not because of anything good that we have done, but simply because you are good and that you, through your Spirit, have empowered us to live fruitful and watchful and ready and productive lives. Thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for how it confronts us. And now I pray, Lord, that you would be honored in this time of invitation in Christ's name. Amen.